Hey, it's Meg Nally from Big Brother Season 17, and you are listening to The Recap. DJ Earworm, and you're listening to The Recap. Hi, I'm Heather McDonald, and you're listening to The Recap. It's American Idol winner Nick Fradiani, and you are listening to The Recap. Welcome to The Recap. I'm Erin McClory. And I'm Carly Miller. Just like Pepsi said this week, it's time for us to join the conversation. And let's start that conversation right now because, Erin, Pepsi has pulled their Kendall Jenner ad that was just released on Tuesday. Pepsi posted their ad to YouTube and it shows attractive young people holding signs with nonspecific phrases like, join the conversation. Now, the protesters are uniformly smiling, laughing, clapping, hugging, high-fiving, what have you. Now, in a statement on Tuesday, upon its initial release, Pepsi released a statement that said that the ad captures the spirit and the actions of those people that jump into every movement. Now, before we get started on what went wrong with the ad, let's just talk about the ad in general and and a breakdown of what the commercial actually was. Yeah, because, I mean, so far, so good. So I am waiting for you to explain where the controversy came in, because so far, everything you said sounds <laughs> great fine. and dandy. Right. It, it, it's a timely issue when you think about protests. But so you have Kendall Jenner in, in a glamorous photo shoot. She walks away from the photo shoot. You can tell that. She takes off a blonde wig. You see that it's her. And the glamorous outfit that she's wearing turns into a jean jacket and, and something that, you know, blends in with the crowd. And so she walks out into the crowd with a Pepsi in her hand, kind of wheezes her way through it. And she steps through the crowd and gives the Pepsi that's in one of her hands to one of the cops that's standing in a line with other cops, clearly blocking the protest from, you know, getting any further. And the cop smiles and Kendall Jenner exchanges a smile with him as well. And she walks back into the crowd and everybody's jumping up and down. Now I'm starting to see why they have pulled the ad because this is where all of the controversy is happening. And I know Pepsi is now having to do some backtracking. Absolutely, Erin. So initially, Pepsi spoke out about the backlash late on Tuesday and they said, quote, this is a global ad that reflects people from different walks of life coming together in spirit of harmony. And we think that's an important message to convey. However, Aaron, by Wednesday morning, they had announced that they pulled the ad altogether. So you could tell that they were really trying to, you know, stick with the original message that they were trying to convey. But that message got lost in translation here. And I think that that's what the issue was. Something got lost in translation. If you're going to have people in a crowd protesting for, for whatever reason, it could be the women's, you know, march on Washington that happened upon Donald Trump being elected president. It could be so many different things, right? But when you bring police into play in this, in the, in this time that our society is currently in, it opens up to Black Lives Matter and to so many different police brutality cases that we've seen over the past two years. And it's too soon, I think. It definitely is. I mean, I think there's a couple different issues here that you can pick apart. I mean, one, they used a white celebrity for this to go up to the cop when, you know, you have this white celebrity Kendall Jenner going up to the cop and facing no backlash at all. But in history, we've seen black people go up to cops and they don't get the same reaction and they're met with violence. So I understand why people are upset about that. I think the other issue, other than it being a white celebrity, is just the fact that they even really involve the cops in the ad at all. I don't think that's necessary. I think that they could have 
have made a message. I think if they had used a black celebrity or anybody else, there still would have been some sort of outrage. I don't think it would have been as severe, but I still think people would have been upset that they're making light of issues. And I just feel like there were so many other ways for Pepsi to join the conversation, like they said. I mean, use Pepsi to unite all the protesters and refresh them and keep them hydrated, whatever it may be. Give them the energy they need, the caffeine. I don't know. Something where it's just involving them and and uplifting their spirits rather than uniting them with the cops because... While a lot of ads can be unrealistic, this just took it to a new level where a lot of people were offended, and I complete I think they're completely justified. It was almost too real with a sense of yeah. a lack of reality. Does that make sense? It does. You have something that's that's so real and so raw in the moment, but then you're going to put such an unrealistic spin on it. It's almost insulting in a sense. Now, Pepsi has since released a statement upon pulling their ad on Wednesday, saying Pepsi was trying to protect to project rather. A global message of unity, peace, and understanding. Clearly, we missed the mark, and we apologize. We did not intend to make light of any serious issue. We are removing the content and halting any further rollout. Now, they also went on to put uh, to, to apologize to Kendall Jenner for putting in her in that position, uh, you know, of being subjected to this content in this ad. Erin, what I want to just, pr- like, state right now is the fact that Pepsi not only stopped the ad but halted any further rollout. It says a lot about how serious they are taking it. Now, I know, like you said, they're doing backpedaling. There's no denying that. But for a company to remove an ad altogether, I mean, it's taking money out of their pockets. If we know about television, if we know about ads, if we know anything about how businesses operate, they want to do anything that they can to save or rather not waste their money. And so I think that that does speak volumes that, you know, I think it's interesting to see, you know, how nobody caught this. You know, advertisements were not naive. They go through rounds and rounds of pitches of, you know, revampings of changes here and there. Every little thing does get thought about. They missed the message. Something got lost. But I think that the fact that they have pulled it right away, again, I'm trying to see the fact that they are responding to this in the way that they should at this point. They've already dug themselves in this hole, but they have to backpedal. So they removed it. You know, hopefully it'll be pulled and, and, and you'll never have to see it again. But people aren't taking this situation, this this advertisement light by any means. Yeah, I do think that it speaks volumes that they're pulling it. I also, also think that it speaks volumes about the world we live in now and the ability for people to unite together. I mean, obviously that's what their message was about. But the fact that people have united together against the ad and said, look, this is offensive and they listened. I think that that is a very positive place for our society to be going where hey, look, offensive content was put out. Like, universally, I think it's fair to say that this ad was offensive and a lot of people, a huge majority, said, look, this ad is not okay, and they listened to that. So just think about, I mean, the internet and social media and and the instant feedback that you get on an ad, like, as a company. I think that that is very important for a company to be able to listen to their consumers and to people who are watching the advertisements. It's just, it's such a shift. Does that make sense? You know, in in what advertisements can do and the way that people can listen to them and go back and forth with this worked, this didn't work. And I think that it can make companies stronger. My only worry is that this could scare some companies out of creating meaningful content. I mean, Pepsi tried and yes, they missed the mark. Is that going to 
scare away other companies from trying to make content and advertisements that relate to world issues and societal issues. That's such an interesting point. You know, to that, I don't know. I I remember a commercial from the Super Bowl. I'm thinking of Life Water. Um, It's a fairly new brand, at least to me, just bottled water. And John Legend was playing a song, and it was all about people coming together. I think he played Love Me Now, and it was just people uniting. And it was so powerful, so much so that like any other advertisement, or the goal rather, I went out and I bought Life Water. It has a (laughs) colorful bottle. It's absolutely beautiful. I think that these messages are meant to inspire us, and I think that they, like they said, they missed the mark. I, I don't know. But, Erin, you brought up social media and the fact of, you know, there being outcries and there being responses on social media. People aren't keeping quiet about this. And there has been a lot of powerful content that have had that has been posted. One that is absolutely noteworthy, you know, to, to discuss is Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter posted an image to Twitter of her father being pushed by a cop or, you know, a similar situation. You have cops standing in the line and like Kendall Jenner approaching the cop, you have Martin Luther King approaching the cop. And she said, if only daddy would have known the power of Pepsi. That is... Uh. Aaron, it like gives me chill. chills when you say that. I, I mean, was when say. I first saw it, I could not believe it. I mean, good for her for speaking out and saying that, but it just that one message is just so powerful and shows you if you, if you didn't get before why this ad doesn't work and, and can be offensive, this shows you why. Absolutely. There was also another image that I saw on Twitter. It was a, it was a, of a little black boy at a protest, and there's again that line of cops with the shields and you know all looking forward in the helmets. And he has a, a bucket of water, like a pail of waters. And you see him extending his arm to give that cop a water bottle. And he's like reaching up to him and the cop is just looking forward. And again, you know, an image is captured in, in a split second. You don't know what transpired after. But the, the person who tweeted it posted saying, we tried this in Baltimore, in Baltimore and it didn't work for us. Hopefully it'll work for Kendall. Like, I, I don't I don't get how it'll work for Kendall. So many powerful, powerful images, and they're all so real. I mean, yeah. this is the issue here. And, I mean, you mentioned Kendall. One other thing that I want to touch on is how much can you blame Kendall Jenner for this ad? I think that there's just so much to dissect there because in some senses I feel like you can't blame her because what was presented to her might not have been what ended up being the final outcome and the final product. Do you know what I mean? When she was pitched this idea, hey, do you want to be in this advertisement for Pepsi? It's going to be about um, joining the conversation and all of these powerful movements that are going on and how Pepsi can unite people. Great. That sounds like a great pitch, a great idea. That's not really what ended up happening. I mean, there's no way for us to know what she was pitched. So I don't know how responsible she can be. But at the same time, when does Kendall start being responsible for her business decisions and what she chooses to put her name on and get involved with? There's just Absolutely. such a fine line there. And it's really hard to figure out how much blame you can put on someone who's just in the ad. I don't know. I think that's something that I haven't really figured out. I haven't either. And it's interesting because, you know, Pepsi did release in their their official statement on Wednesday that they apologized for putting Kendall Jenner in this position. So it's interesting that they themselves are almost taking responsibility. Who knows what transpired behind the scenes? I mean... It was produced by an in-company production production studio. There's so many factors. There's so many questions that we have about this situation. And we keep saying it, but they just missed the mark. Something got lost in translation. There was no need for cops to be involved. They could have sent such a powerful message about uniting and coming together and being one and the power of Pepsi and how it can bring people together. Let's face it, oftentimes advertisements are unrealistic in the sense that 
they you see something you see a product come into play and you see somebody's life completely changed for the better especially with beverages especially with coke especially with pepsi and so with that being said they could have just ended it there they brought the cops into it kendall jenner herself knew that that was happening i think that if she felt uncomfortable she has enough power it's it's such a fine line everything here there's such a fine line between right and wrong offensive and not timely and you know too soon things like that and I, I don't I can't define it yeah I, I think another thing people are kind of confused about is how does it how did this get through so many people yes how did that is nobody catch this and I had a conversation with a couple of friends yesterday about this and there was uh, varying opinions across the board about how many people could have seen this and what happened so on one hand one of my friends was saying I don't understand how this got through so many people. How did no one step up and say, this is not okay? And on the other hand, someone said, well, a lot of the people who are could see the offense in this, uh, the younger generation, the millennials, are a little bit more in tune with this. I think that's fair to say. They're a little bit more sensitive to these issues and aware of them. And a lot of these millennials are not in the higher up positions and aren't going to speak out and say, look, this could be offensive out of fear of losing their job, out of fear of backlash, out of whatever it may be, them feeling like it's not their place. I get that. So I think that those are two different sides of what could have happened also with an ad like this I mean really how many people are involved with it this is such a a a big production but at the same time it's obviously they kept this under wraps it was like a very I'm sure that they were very excited about this so I'm sure that really not that many people had hands on the storyboard or whatever it may have been yes it was a big production but at the same time this I'm sure that this was on lockdown and and many people who work for Pepsi I'm sure were unaware that this was even going on absolutely so there's definitely just some some confusion about what went on but either way we know what happened was not okay something else that's just never okay domestic violence and abuse so we have to talk about mel b and her ongoing divorce almost three weeks ago mel b former spice girl and current america's got talent judge filed from a divorce from her husband stephen belafonte Now, since Melby's filing was revealed, there have been many allegations made, and I think that we need to just break this content down. Now, the 41-year-old superstar mom of three saw a restraining order against Stephen Belafonte, calling her husband of nearly 10 years extremely aggressive, hostile, and violent. That right there is, I mean, three words that are alarming in any situation, especially in a relationship. It screams domestic violence. It just screams abuse. And it makes me fearful of what could have happened, especially with kids involved. There's just so much going on. And I know a lot of it is he said, he said, she said, and we'll get into that. But just that right there makes you know that this is this is a serious issue. Absolutely. Now, the producer, who is Stephen Belafonte, he is a Hollywood producer, who's also 41 years old, kept their marriage kept her in the marriage like any other abusive spouse would, and and that was with threats, according to Mel B. Now, she claims that she was exposed to sadistic sex abuse, threesomes, verbal abuse. Belafonte immediately began telling her upon them getting married that no one really knows how stupid she is and that he was responsible for making her look intelligent to the outside world. Wow. Now, there's also physical abuse, Erin, and there's a lot of counts of that. Five months after they were married, he choked her so hard that she had red marks around her neck and needed to be covered up by a makeup artist who had just, this was right after she had appeared on Dancing with the Stars. 
Now, on, in July 2012, when Mel B was appearing on Australian TV's X Factor, Belafonte flew into a jealous rage when he saw a tape segment of her with the singer Usher, and he allegedly punched her in the face so hard that her lips split and swelled, and she told everybody that she had an allergic reaction to shellfish. Ugh. Now, Aaron, these accounts go on and on. We can list them. There's an instance where he pushed her to the ground so hard that she got rug burned before a Spice Girls reunion performance and he immediately made her tweet that she had tripped on her Louboutin heel and that's why she had a, a mark. There's so many different counts. People are now zooming into outfits that she's worn on America's Got Talent and, you know, pointing out marks on her arms, things like that. The, the, the physical abuse and the counts for that absolutely run deep, but there's so much more to this and, and it, it goes into the, the verbal and, and the mind games and she says that she recalls that he hid her passport from her to try and prevent her from going to see her sick father. She was eventually able to access her passport and to leave. And she was only able to make it to her father just a day before he passed. Counts like this that, you know, there's signs of abuse without ever having to leave a mark on your body. Yeah, it- It's such a hard conversation to have because on one hand, I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this or who read articles about this and say, why didn't she leave? But that is one of the worst things that you can say to someone in a domestic violence situation because there are circumstances where maybe you're scared to leave. If you leave, will he come kill you? I mean, I don't know if that was the case in this situation, but that's the extreme. And there are situations like that where there's just so much fear or or in some cases, maybe if you leave, where are you going to go? You live with this person. Do you have another house to get to? Whatever it may be, there's just there's so many ins and outs of these types of relationships and this kind of abuse. It's never a good idea to stay. Of course, this kind of abuse is just sickening. It's just so complicated, and and my heart hurts that Mel B has been through this for, what, 10 years that they were married? That is an extremely long time. I'm just so thankful that now she's finally not only filing for divorce but speaking out about it, and hopefully other people can say – wow, I'm not the only one, right. and there, there is an out, there's a way to get out of this. Right, and we talk about, you know, them meeting each other, and I think it's important to note the fact that Melby herself said that she met Steph Steven at an extremely vulnerable time in her life. Now, she had just given birth to her second daughter, who she had with Eddie Murphy, despite the fact that they weren't in a relationship. So, you know, that, you know, she said that hormones and what she was going through with having her daughter without, you know, having a stable relationship with that man, it took a toll on her emotionally, physically, mentally, all of that. She didn't have that support at that time from her loved one, her significant other. And so she said that she was really blinded by him. And isn't that what we hear all too often? The two headed to the chapel just under five months after having met. And so you don't know somebody, right? you don't. And I mean, when she's that vulnerable, maybe you think you deserve that. Maybe you think it's tough love. Maybe you feel like that's just what you need. I mean, whatever it may be. Right. For some reason, she felt like that wasn't an okay relationship for her to be in at the time. Maybe he'll change. Maybe it'll get better. Whatever it could have been, she stayed for some reason. And there's just... uh, I I can't even wrap my head around it. Neither can I. And I think that one of the most chilling stories that she has since told, despite the, you know, direct accounts of abuse, which is, of course, you know, sinful and awful. But she says that in 2014, her husband, or her estranged husband now, had an affair with the nanny who looked after her three kids for seven years. And he told Mel B that he wanted to keep the child and that the three of them, the three adults, that is, could all live together, the nanny included. Now, they got into an argument. He, 
Mel B fired the nanny, then rehired her, then has since fired her again, and that he supposedly paid the nanny $300,000 of Mel B's money to get an abortion, to keep this under wraps, to never speak of it again. And then supposedly in 2015, again, I spoke about how she fires her, hires her, and then fires her again. Belafonte apparently was livid that she did that because he loved her and the nanny was his ride or die, for lack of better word, girl in this instance. And so he got really physical with her in that instance that she decided to take it upon herself to fire her. You're going to talk about, because there have since been statements released, of course, on Stephen's part through his lawyers and through he himself, you're going to talk about denying these claims and all. But I think that if Mel B were to fabricate this in any sense, she'd be jeopardizing the life of this nanny. And I think that that's something that I would hope that no individual would ever toy with. She's jeopardizing the lives of her three children, and she's trying to not subject them to this violence. I think that there are absolutely deeply rooted issues in this relationship. And so I find it interesting, you know, to deny these counts. And there seems like there's all too much proof there. And like you said earlier, to say, why didn't you leave? That, well, that's not an excuse. That's not enough of a justification to even say that Mel B now is coming out and lying. No, absolutely not. I mean, all too often, people are quick to assume that that people are lying, whether it's rape, violence, abuse, it doesn't matter what it is. And we talk about victim blaming all the time. And that is something that could totally be happening right now. I mean, we talked about Kim Kardashian and how everyone said that she lied about her armed robbery when that had such emotional turmoil on her. It's the same thing here where we're blaming a celebrity and saying that they could have made this up, whether it's for publicity, for for whatever it may be. It's just sickening. Mel B experienced extreme abuse, extreme violence, extreme circumstances that no one should ever have to go through. And here we are potentially assuming that none of this ever happened and someone saying that she lied about all of it. Right. I What's get that sick? you're covering yourself, but that that's not okay when you've done all of this. You can't keep covering yourself. Absolutely. And Aaron, you talk about how despicable that is to, you know, v- you victim blame and say that, you know, there's exaggerations or there's lies somewhere along that line. And if that concept in itself doesn't, you know, make you livid, I think part of the statement that Stephen's lawyer released is absolutely despicable. And, and we're not going to read the whole statement, and I don't think that there's a need for it, because it all says, says the same tone, and that's saying shame on Melanie Brown, who's Mel B, and poor Stephen Belafonte. And one of those excerpts from his statement says, when the degree to which Ms. Brown has gone to create a false depiction of her marriage to Mr. Belafonte is uncovered, real victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual abuse will be understandably offended angry and upset that statement you're not just covering your client Stephen Belafonte Mm -hmm. and trying to depict him as a family man as someone who would never lay his arm you know lay a hand on a woman not only are you you know calling Mel B a liar which you would be doing either way if you were defending Stephen Belafonte you know you would be whether it was direct or indirectly you know trying to dismantle the person that Mel B is as a lawyer defending somebody else But you explicitly state that she will offend real victims, real victims. And what is a real victim? How dare anybody say someone is not a real victim? And a real survivor. A real survivor, a real victim. No, that's not a thing. I mean, Mel B 
was a victim. She's a survivor. I mean, of course, there's he said, she said to everything. But when there's physical abuse involved, that's not a he said, she said. That's if it happened, that's not okay. And of course, Mel B is a victim in this. And I just, it sickens me that someone could be saying that real victims and survivors of domestic violence will be offended when this, this statement in itself is so offensive, not only to real victims and survivors, Everybody, I Absolutely. think, can be offended by that. And if you know what, Erin, if somewhere down the line anything gets revealed that makes us see Stephen Belafonte in a different light and Mel B in a different light, so be anything it. fabricated and stuff, then there's deeper issues of violence in this relationship. Yeah, but that's just why go then, there until absolutely. It happens. That's absolutely. what bothers me so we much. We have to take these accounts seriously. Like you said, you talk about girls getting raped and, and victim blaming and, and all that such. It's the same thing as telling a girl who gets sexually abused after the party, after being drunk that it was because of what she was wearing. Yeah. It's that same mentality that we need to get out of or we as a society will never be able to shift our views. It is. It's the questioning that happens instead of the comforting. Absolutely. Why question before you comfort it when it comes to abuse or domestic violence or rape or anything, anything in this world, why do we question before we comfort? I, I will never understand that. That's such an amazing point, Erin. And with that being said, I think it's time for us to move on to a little bit of lighter and happier topics. We got we had an amazing conversation, deep, rich conversations, but we have to move on to a different relationship. And that is John Cena and longtime girlfriend Nikki Bella. Or rather, no longer a longtime girlfriend, now recently engaged. There. Yes. So at the thirty third WWE WrestleMania, John Cena proposed to, to Nikki Bella. How appropriate. It was after they wrestled in a couples match and won. Now, Aaron, I watched. I'm not going to lie, okay? I watched. You watched WWE. I'm into sports, you know. But I watched a bit of WrestleMania. In fact, I watched just enough to see all of this transpire. And the package in which they played prior to them coming out, you, anybody, I don't watch WrestleMania. I don't really watch Total Divas on E, the show in which they both appear on. You could have you could have known that he was going to propose to her. Was this package before they fought? Yes. Okay. And then they win. And they don't fight against each other, by the right, way. Right, right, right. They're fighting. I, w- I would have lost if it was that. But So they he, they just play, um, you know, about how, how in love they are. And you just see Nikki really fighting for their relationship, in a sense, to become further legitimized. And then her kind of accepting it. And John being like, I love you. You're it for me. But, like, I'm, I don't want to get married. And then the story that he told... When he got down, well, before he got down on one knee, it was we we know that she went through a, a major surgery over the past year. She, I think, she had to take a break from wrestling again. I don't really follow Total Divas to the utmost extent, but I know enough about it. But he said that when she was going into surgery, he said, she said, he said something like, "Can I ask you any question in the world?" You told me that you would answer it before you went into surgery because you were kind of like in such a fragile state of mind, like anything to take your mind off of it. And he was like, well, "I want to ask you," and, and he said, and you would say yes to whatever I asked you. Which is like, I was kind of like, where are you going with this? Like, <laughs> I'm not really sure. No, I'm kidding. It was obvious that he was going to propose to her. But he says, you know, I have to ask you one of the most important questions I've ever asked. He gets down on one knee. I know The Rock no longer wrestles, but he made an appearance in that ring. Oh, Aaron, no, you went there. Erin, the rock that was on <gasps> her finger. It was like Dwayne was still there. <sighs> It was like Dwayne Johnson came home. He never left. (laughs) Wow. You hit that one home. That was a good point. (laughs) I'm not over that. That, I think that's like your, I don't even know if you call that a pun, but that is your best comparison I think you've ever done on this show in five seasons. 
I love that one. My question, what if they lost? Would he have proposed after a loss? Well, take the L and then know, take the W. One thing that we know about WrestleMania is it's scripted. Okay, fair. So, so they weren't going to lose. They weren't going to lose. It's it's John Cena. It's Nikki Bella. They The other relationship was depicted as, you know, the villains in a sense. So they weren't going to lose, but I, I'm sorry. I'm not over. I'm not over what I said. She now has... Two wrestlers in her life, The Rock, the Rock. and John Cena. <laughs> we could go on with this forever, but we could. I do want to talk about the fact that now they are engaged. John Cena was very open about the fact that he didn't know if he ever wanted to get married. He also does not think as of now that he ever wants to have kids. Now that they're engaged, she has gotten already tons of questions about when are the babies coming. First of all, for her, they haven't even set a date for their wedding, I we don't hate- think. We hate that. No, we it's do. so tacky. It's, it's so annoying. The Just only person you're... who can do that is your own mother, right? Can they if even that. do that? <laughs> Mom, if you're listening, never ask me that. I just, <sighs> I think that it's so wrong to assume now that she's engaged and getting married, she's going to have kids. I mean, she was open. She was like, look, he still, he, he told me just because if we ever get engaged, if we ever get married, don't assume that means that I want to have kids. And I think that's good that A, they had that conversation and B, they understand that, that one does not necessarily lead to the other or mean that you have to do the other. You can have kids without being married. You can be married without having kids. And Absolutely. Why do paparazzi and fans and everyone assume that they can just then be like, hey, when are the kids coming? When are the kids coming? I don't get it. And the pressure that that puts on that couple. Yeah. Right? So much pressure, not only to succeed, but now, hey, we want kids from you. We want a little baby wrestler. Like, no, chill. Take a step back. It's their life, not yours. Right. And you have a little wrestler on that finger, right? <laughs> The Rock. A big wrestler. It's like a mini rock, though. We have to move on and talk about the MTV Movie Awards, or now, the MTV Movie and TV Awards. So, for the first time ever, they're celebrating both the small screen and the big screen in the same awards show. So, the awards show will be on May 7th. Adam Devine will be hosting the actor from Pitch Perfect. He's obviously been in things more recently, but that is what I know him as. He always plays that, like, frat, like... Yeah, kind of like, like the frat kind of jerk guy. I, I was going to say. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is a newly revamped show, of course, and it's also going to include MTV's first ever movie and TV festival for several hours that will lead up to the awards. So there's a lot of firsts going on. Also, for the first time, all categories will be non-gendered. So there's going to have no best female, no nope. best male. Best actor, male and female. That type of That type of format with... It does not matter your gender. If you're the best, you're the best. They said that it just felt like a good way to acknowledge the shift in the audience's consciousness. That's amazing. I really, really like that. If anything, the only reason I'm ever upset about that is because it's one less award we get to see in yeah. the sense of best, you know, best male versus best female. Awards. You get to watch two different celebrities come up and be honored. But I think that that's so so timely. You talk about a step in the right direction. Yeah. And, and, f- and not backtracking, but kind of like onward pedaling. This is the way to go. That's so interesting. Wow. Yeah. And another interesting thing that they're doing is is some of the categories, they're not even dictating movie or TV. And they say that that is due to audiences' platform agnostic approach to contact content consumption and it's something we talk about all the time with are you watching tv live are you putting on your dvr are you watching on your phone are you watching netflix hulu amazon prime whatever it may be how are you consuming your content and this is something that mtv is now listening to and saying look whether it's tv or movies even people don't really care anymore it's just good content is good content 
And I think that that's another move in the in the right direction for MTV just as a visual platform and as a media huge as a huge media company and and they've dominated it for so long for Viacom to now say look we're going to take this step and see how the audience responds to it that's huge absolutely and what i think is interesting is they're so ahead of the game they nothing are. has flopped for them to need to make these revamps or these you know changes they are just moving on with the times. And I think that too often times with media, with TV, changes aren't being made until there's controversy, until there's backlash, until people are like, oh, crap, let's scramble and yeah. let's make a change and let's make this better. And it's a big PR move. This is just natural. They didn't do anything wrong. I don't think that their ratings are under fire. I think that MTV is extremely stable with where they are as an entertainment, you know, production. You know, they produce this content for us to absorb. So I think it's so interesting and it just goes to show the importance that they feel it is to move forward with the times. Definitely. To pay attention to their audiences. I think that people are going to appreciate that so much. Yeah, and if you want to talk about moving forward with the times, they do have five new categories. One of them more notable than others, but I'll just run through them real quick. We have best fight category has now turned into best fight against the system, which I'll talk about in a minute. Their others are best tearjerker, best host, best reality competition, and best American story. So best, best fight. Best American story, did you say? Yes. Okay. That one we can dive into a little bit more too, but that's like uh, that one's a little different than than we've seen in the past, but best fight is a category that has has been around for ages, since the beginning. And it used to go to, you know, a notable movie brawl or whatever it may be, but now it has new meaning because they say that fight has new meaning. So they said, quote, Today we see what's happening, whether it's Black Lives Matter, the Women's March. Young audience members are reviving an activism voice that we haven't seen in years, and we want to celebrate that and encourage it. So they're saying that now it's... It's about the characters and the stories who fight on principle. And, and it's not about just the best fight scene in action movies and whatnot. It's not but, violence. But there the, are other yeah, ways to fight. Yeah, exactly. That's totally what it is. They're saying, look, you can you can fight in a positive sense and, and fight for what you believe in and be active in the community. I and think that's, that's amazing. that's a strong statement. I think it's so amazing. I'm still not over the fact that they are making such important and appropriate changes. I mean, I really respect... I feel as though... I'm more intrigued to watch these these awards. And let's face it, that's what MTV wants. They want to, you know, captivate their audiences. And I think that they're doing it in an exceptional way. Yeah, they definitely are. Now, some of the categories that we talked about earlier. So best kiss and best villain, as well as best hero, tearjerker and best American story include both TV and movies. So some will still be dictated like show of the year, movie of the year. They still get their own categories, but all of those categories I just named are now combined. And then best actor in a movie and best actor in a show are the ones that have included both males and females. So that's something that's definitely people are going to be looking out for. Now, we talked about a little bit of confusion with the best American story. Yes. It's still something I don't fully get. Let me read you the nominees. The nominees are Blackish, Fresh Off the Boat, Jane the Virgin, Moonlight, and Transparent. So to me, what I get from this, these are all stories about people living different American lives, whether it's Fresh Off the Boat, Jane the Virgin, Moonlight, Transparent, Black. They're all about people coming to America or being in America and living different lives. I don't know. I mean, I'm not super familiar with these shows no, or, no, no, or you're these right. movies in you're some right. cases. I mean, Moonlight's obviously a movie, but 
I, I'm wondering, you know, is that where they're going with this and depicting, you know, you can there there's not just the American life. There's all of these different American stories and, and everyone has their own story and which one is the best. I mean, I kind don't know. Like a melting pot. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's where they're going with it. Hopefully they'll explain it a little more on the right. show. I, I mean, they just, have this platform now absolutely. to explain why they're doing all these changes. Yes, they've come out with, with some statements about why they decided to go, you know, non-gender with their, with their categories, combined movie and TV, but... I'm definitely interested to why they changed some of the categories or added some like that one. So hopefully they'll they'll go into that a little bit more. I'm definitely excited as well, Erin. But that's not the only award show that's making some changes. We have another one to discuss. Yes, and it is my personal favorite award show of all time, and that is the People's Choice Awards. Is that the one that Ellen hosts by any chance year after year? No. Which one am I thinking about that you went to? And Oh, I did well, go to er- that. Ellen, Ellen won. wins El- every... That's she what is, I'm thinking she of. She holds the most People's Choice Awards in history of the show. So there you go. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I did get to go to the People's Choice Awards and see her win. You did cry. A couple awards there. I did cry. She. I think it was like a humanitarian award. I don't even remember for sure. I think I blacked, you blacked out. out. But it was it's a great award show. I mean, it just it celebrates everything pop culture and that is why it is so fitting that E Network has acquired the rights to the annual People's Choice Awards. Absolutely. I mean, they've been on CBS since the beginning. But the show, it, it celebrates pop culture. It's voted on solely by fans. It just seems so fitting that E! now gets the show. They will start airing it in 2018 for the 44th show. And it's going to be produced by Wilshire Studios, which is the team behind E's live from the red carpet. And they're going to produce the show and the ceremony. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's going to be so amazing. And I know a lot of people are going to get to see it as well because it's going to air on E's 17 international channels. So it's going to reach 153 countries in 24 languages. And what I love about this fact is is that we know that E is is owned by NBC Universal. It's an entity of the NBC Universal right. group. I love that E has it. I, I, you can argue, of course, it's NBC's now. They got it from CBS. That's a good point. I love that it's not airing on NBC. NBC got it from CBS, but they distribute it to E. And I love that because you wouldn't see these kinds of changes or this this shift in the audience or this, you know, this desire for this entertainment like award show. If it was on NBC, what changes would be made? And so I think that the fact that they acknowledge that E was the most appropriate outlet, by the way, huge deal for E to have an, their own award show, not just a red carpet, not just a talk show before a talk show after they cover Red, they cover the award show, the award season, from start to finish. They just don't get the actual award show. And so I think that the fact that they themselves now have their own award show, it's going to be exceptional. I just think that it's so amazing that NBC themselves didn't take it for their own channel. They sent it right to E. That's a great point. I mean, we talked about it with MTV kind of adjusting to the way that, that viewers are consuming their media. And I think that speaks volumes to NBC and potentially CBS if they if they you know made the deal directly with E or whatever it might have been. I mean, I don't know what transpired, but it could have easily gone network to network. And, and instead, it, it went to that cable network. It went to E. And they're totally acknowledging the fact that it's not just those huge broadcast networks that need to be having this content. It's the cable networks like E that are dominating that need to have the content that's relevant to their platform. Absolutely. There's no better platform for the People's Choice Awards than E Network. No. And especially with all of the changes that MTV is doing with their awards show, with the the MTV Movie and Now TV Awards, I cannot wait to see what E does with the People's Choice Awards. There's so much room for them to take this and just run with it. And and yes, I want them to keep some of the 
the structure the same because I love the awards so much, but I do think that they have the potential to make it so much better than it already is. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm so excited to see. As for revamping, we talk about that a lot. We don't plan on revamping any, anything anytime soon because we hope that you guys enjoy our show just the way it is. But with that being said, that's all we have for today. We'd like to thank you guys for listening. Thank you to our producer, Kate Douglas, and our audio technician, David Pekka. And we'll see you next week. The recap, presented by ICTV, will return next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at the underscore recap and like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the recap podcast. 